Revelation On Demand podcast, a podcast interested in what the Bible has to say about our lives today. Join us as we see what revelations we find today. I'm your host, J.D. Myers, and today I am going solo, so you just have me. So what's going on in the world? I want to talk a little bit about the big thing going on with Ravi Zacharias. I've listened to the report in full. And I got to admit, I'm a little disappointed with what I had found in that. I'm not going to go over all the details here, but you you need to look into this if Ravi had any effect on your life and your faith like he did on mine. Now, I'm not saying that he can't, what he affected in the past can't be used for good now, but as far as going forward, I'm not sure that we can really use any of his teachings, especially the anecdotal ones, because of what he has been exposed to do. So I'm really sad to hear about the situation. My heart goes out to all the victims of this situation. My heart goes out to the family because I feel like Ravi probably pulled the wool over their eyes too, because he was just seems to be that kind of man. So deceptive, so full of zeal to make it look like he was a good guy, even though ultimately he was a bad guy. So please, you know, check that out. I, it's a really sad thing to hear if you have been touched by Ravi. I think, well, oh, I didn't mean to say that. That's 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 bad. But um, I also want to send out a little bit of a prayer for those dealing with the power loss and the, the winter storms. Here where I live in the middle of the country, we don't seem to be having that much issue. Of course, we don't have feet of snow. We have inches of snow here right now, which is kind of unusual. Normally, we are the people who get feet of snow, but my heart goes out to all of you who are dealing with the power loss and the power rationing and stuff like that. So please keep those people in your heart, in your prayers over the next couple of weeks. Moving on, I don't think I'm going to cover any politics because nothing's really happening. The news has been very quiet. So what happened last episode, we were talking about the reign of the beast, as I titled the episode, where we've seen this reign of this, this totalitarian government, this new Rome that was over all the earth that covered multiple nations and was just dominating the earth. And we saw their ultimate corruption in the woman of Babylon. So she was a, a symbol of like utmost uncleanliness and idolatry and religious um, infidelity. And that those in Christ have nothing to fear about when it comes to this, this thing coming down on us. Now, moving on to the section about what I missed. A while back, we were talking about uh, the keys of death in Hades and Jesus descending down to the underworld to go get those. And I think I had casted some doubt on whether or not uh, Jesus went to hell. So I, I still don't think that it was hell because like I stuck in your guys' ear a few podcasts ago, when is hell made? But there is a place called Hades, which is the underworld and. I've done some more studying on this subject and coming to think of death and Hades as, as persons, not just a place or a thing there, there can also be construed as spirits and that's why they would have keys. So Jesus descended when he died to the underworld to uh, deal with these two spirits and bring those who had died before who were, who did put all their trust in the Lord. They just didn't have Christ yet. 
so their sins weren't covered with Christ's sacrifice. So when Jesus went down to get the keys from these two spirits and tell them, you're done here, you're not, you're not in charge of doing this anymore, it's my job now, so that Jesus can decide who comes out of the underworld into heaven. So, a little bit of clarity on that. I don't remember exactly what episode that was, but it was it was quite far back. So, just wanted to show you guys that I'm capable of being corrected. All right, getting into scripture. We are in chapter 18. We are just going to read through in chunks. Uh, don't have my co-host today, so... This will be probably a quicker episode, and I'm going to try and think of questions as I get through this to kind of ask any questions. But this is a great reason why you guys should uh, comment back on the email or anywhere you see this podcast that I can see your questions. And then I can answer these questions in that section of what I missed last episode. And I'm always going to attribute it to whoever you are, unless you rather stay anonymous. So just letting you guys know there. Okay. Starting in 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had a great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become the dwelling for demons, a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The king of earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. So, right there at the beginning, we have a reference into Revelation fourteen eight. where we were talking about this uh, drinking of the wine. And then the kings from the last chapter were mentioned again. We heard of these ten kings who were working with Babylon the Great, or trying to, who were, ha- were having their way with her, I should say, and drinking of her riches and pleasures and whatnot. And all the detestable things. There's nothing clean or good left in the world at this point. So it's just a haunt for every unclean bird, every unclean detestable animal. So everything's just corrupted at this point. Especially in this this nation that it's talking about. And they have gained the world but lost eternal life. So they, they've gained all of this, all these riches and all of this pleasure, but at the cost of their immortal souls. So here we see that this is the wages of sin or death. When you are so worldly, you can't focus on anything but your riches. And then that leads to you losing on the ultimate victory, the ultimate the the most ultimate thing you could ever get, and that's eternal life in the presence of God. Continuing on in verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. 
for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given, pay her back double for what she has done, pour her a double potion from the cup from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as a queen, I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. So right there at the beginning, we see God calling his people out of Babylon so they not share in its final demise. So right there, that's kind of confusing to tell when this is exactly in the whole end of the world story. So this could have been going back a little bit before the bowls where there's still people who are savable. There's still people who could come to Christ. So he's calling them out maybe one last time before the final destruction of Babylon. So. So when he talks about these sins reaching up to heaven, they're using a word in Greek called that's more like cling to or clingy. It makes this this idea of sins being sticky. So they kind of pile high because they can pile on top of each other more easy. And this section here is fulfilling Jeremiah 16, 18, Jeremiah 17, 18, which says, starting at 16, 18, and first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have polluted my land with the carcass of their detestable things and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. And then 1718, let them be put to shame that persecute me, but let, let not me be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil and destroy them with double destruction. We have this, this doubling of judgment or doubling of the, the, the wine, the the portion of the wine that they're drinking, as the queen is drinking. This is God making good on them paying for the sins they committed, and doubly so. So when we sin, you got to think about this a little bit. When we sin, it's not just against us. Now, sexual sin is against the body, and it can also be against people outside of us, but it's mostly against the body. But sin in general, when we fail, when we mess up, when we come short of our goal or whatever it is, we don't just affect ourselves. We are not, you know, autonomous units that affect nothing outside of ourselves. Every little thing that happens to us or that we do, every decision we make, we affect others around us. We affect everyone around us. And it's to varying degrees, depending on who it is that we're talking about. Say a, a father and a son, the father sins in some way that betrays the trust of the son. All of a sudden now, there's a damage to that relationship that the father caused because of his sin, that now there's going to take more time to rebuild that trust between the father and the son. So sin is not something that just happens to ourselves. It's not something that is ambiguous on how it affects us. 
it hurts us and it hurts those around us since we are interconnected. No matter how isolated you think you are, there's someone in your circle who you'll affect with their sin. And then we have this queen imagery, which is directly tying this to Rome because they had a goddess, Roma, which was the queen of heaven. And she had no husband and she can live as she pleases. This this goddess had sons who were said to be the the Caesars, everyone who, or yeah, Caesars, the the uh, Roman emperors were the sons of this goddess Roma, which was just Rome personified as a spirit. So this this is, we see this imagery of. God giving to her what she has coming to her. And in that way, he's going to be bringing down judgment on the nations who have done all these terrible, terrible things and who have the blood of the saints, or the blood of many, many innocents and people of God on their hands. And then we see this one sentence here saying, uh, in one day her plagues will overtake her. So at this point, her sins are so great that it's just all going to collapse in a really quick period of time. Uh, one day may not be legitimately one day, as we've seen before. Time is kind of wishy-washy when you're outside of it, especially in this time when John is in the spirit and he's not quite sure what they're showing him all the time. So it just means in a short period of time, Rome will be overtook by all of her sins. Continuing on in verse 9. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, and scarlet cloth. Every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind of made of articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, irons and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, The fruit you have longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all those who travel by ship, the sailors, all who earn a living from the sea, will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city. There are all who had ships on the sea, became rich through their wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. 
Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, your people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she has imposed on you. So first off, we see three woes, as we've seen before with the angels saying woe. We have the kings of the earth, the leaders of the nations, mourning over the destruction of this great city. And the sexual immorality that it's talking about is sin of religious nature. Now it could also mean uh, sexual sin, of course. But as before, we see that sexual immorality is an image of uh, religious idolatry. The judgment said to happen in the last chapter here has already happened. So it was talking of a coming judgment in the last chapter. And in this chapter, it's speaking as if that judgment has already befallen this great city of Babylon. Uh, the cargo includes goods from all over the known world at the time. So we have gold and incense and stuff like that. So he's, he's mentioning specific cargoes that come from specific like corners of the globe in his time. And so it's talking about how Babylon has reached everywhere around the world. So whatever this great Babylon is that is coming will be this global network or global empire where it, it reaches every corner of the world, as to say. And the slaves word here is used for uh, prisoners of war and slaves. It's not just slaves in Greek. So Rome at the time had a third to half slave population. So this is very much talking about how uh, we don't think about this a lot today because we live in a world where we've pretty much done away with the majority of slavery. I mean, there's still some going on in the Middle East today, but at the time, slavery was very much the common thing. If you were poor or you didn't have anything, it was not unlikely that you would end up a slave. So, you know, we at least help out some of the poorest, especially here in, in America where we, you know, we have programs and stuff like that to help them get jobs and, and help them out while they're waiting to get a job and stuff like that. So, I mean, back in the back in these days when John was writing the you know the welfare program was slavery <laughs> you know because at least as a slave someone else was responsible for you so they'd have to make sure that you got food now they could treat you poorly if they wanted to but it goes back to that thinking if you're a slave owner do you want to continuously have to buy new slaves or do you want to keep the same slaves and just feed them, which is cheaper than buying a new slave all the time. So it's just a different way of life that, you know, 2000 years ago, it was commonplace and it was all over the world. It wasn't just in one area. It was the common thing to do, especially with prisoners of war, um, because these people would be taken from war and they'd have nothing anymore. You know, the pillager, whoever won has already taken all their stuff. So someone else has their stuff. So they have nothing. So the common thing to do was just make them slaves so that uh, they would at least live on to see another day. They wouldn't just be executed. And sometimes they did that with prisoners of war. It was just a much more brutal time that as modern people, we have a hard time 
getting our heads around exactly. So Rome's destruction is permanent and final. So this, this city will not be built up again. This is the end of it. And uh, who is like this? The great city is uh, another parody of the praise of God, where we see who is like, like God. We see this throughout scripture where prophets and, and people in the Psalms say, who could possibly be like our God? So we see again where this beast, the city, this, this sinful empire is trying to parody God. And we've seen this back in Revelation 13, uh, verse 4, where it says, who is like the great beast, which is directly saying, you know, this beast that the devil, the dragon had made is uh, unmatchable. But as we know as Christians, that isn't true. In reference to Jeremiah fifty-one forty-eight, Then the heavens and the earth and all therein shall sing for joy over Babylon, for the destroyer shall come unto her from the north, saith Jehovah, or uh, depending on your translation, Yahweh. So we see here that all of heaven is rejoicing over the destruction of Babylon because finally the people who have sinned against those in heaven has met their fate. They're, they've gotten their judgment and there goes the great Babylon. And then continuing on in verse 21, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and the musicians, pipers and trumpers will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The lamp, light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. So here we, we have that finality of the destruction. We see the, the, the millstone being thrown into the sea and angel saying that Babylon will be destroyed much in the same way. And this just gives me like flashbacks to the Atlantis story, especially the anime one where the city is just, there's this bomb that goes off and then the city is sunk to the bottom of the sea. So that just kind of gave me, you know, a memory flash when I was reading that about how Babylon is going to be thrown down into the sea. So now back in these days, they didn't have the internet like we do today where ideas and trade can travel across the globe instantaneously. So the merchants of this time were the internet of the ancient world. Not only did go goods, they carry goods from city to city and across nations. They also carried ideas. So they, if they were of a particular belief or religion, they would also carry their ideas with them. And then, you know, of course, we're not, we're not isolated. So when they talked to people, when they, you know, shared their goods and, and traded with people, they would eventually spread some of their ideas around. And if people in that area thought their ideas were good, they picked them up. They'd ask them more about it. Maybe when that merchant went back to wherever he's from, they'd send someone with the spiritual knowledge that 
those people were looking for out towards that people that he just met, you know, so this was a great way that, uh, people who are looking to spread their ideas and beliefs, they'd get, they get these merchants on board and then the merchants would work like little, uh, proselytizers. They, they'd go out and they'd spread their ideas beyond their borders because they'd go out to trade with other people. So God holds the sinners to, of other beliefs, those who are leaders to a higher standard, and they have blood of those hurt or killed by their false beliefs. So this very much as is said about our leaders, our spiritual leaders, as we kind of talked a little bit about at the very beginning of this episode, our leaders are held to a higher standard. So when we do bad things as spiritual leaders, priests, you know, um, I can't even think of the world now pastors, stuff like that. Our spiritual leaders are held to a higher standard by God because as we teach other people, we have to really be careful on how they might be taking it. So we need to correct them when they're wrong. And if we're wrong, we very much need to make sure that we don't let that stay. We can't let, you know, uh, people be confused by what we're teaching. So, as leaders of our God or, you know, in, in our faith, we're held to a harder standard. So are the leaders who are against our faith, the people who are not in our faith, those people who are, you know, godless and trying to lead more people away from God, they're held to a higher standard. They, it's very much connecting these merchants with this, this magic, this, this, being held to higher standard, they will be destroyed. So this is why Babylon is getting destroyed first. It's the leader of this, this, this global empire. So it's getting destroyed first. It's getting destroyed twofold with what it, you know, caused because it's causing other people to sin and follow it. So just like Christian leaders are expected to be held to a higher standard, so are the leaders of other, but not, not right now it's in the end times or when we die, if we are leaders, if we lead people astray, if we teach the wrong things, we are held to a higher standard. So that's across the board. It's not just for Christians. So that's why when you meet someone who just has a belief system and that's not godly, you can, you know, kind of softly try and turn them over to your point of view to come over to God, to, to find salvation in God. It's much, it's not so much of a fight, but when you're talking to someone who is, you know, sold on the idea, who's teaching it, who's spreading that idea around, it becomes much harder to get this person to acquiesce because they have taught other people. So it's not so much about just them being wrong at this point. They've, led other people to be wrong at this point. So you're, you're trying to overcome that barrier. So once people are more set in their ways, it might be harder for them to admit when they're wrong. And I hope that God will keep me humble enough that whenever I'm wrong, I'll be able to admit it. Whenever I've, I've taught wrong, I hope I can correct it. So this is, something that really has weighed heavily on my shoulders as God has 
kind of brought me into a more of a leadership role and it's kind of shown me the path that lays ahead or at least the destination of where that's going to be not so much the ends the turns on that path but it definitely something that weighs heavily on my shoulder and when i see people like ravi zacharias who i think was this great man of god who was leading people quite well when i see people like that fall it just it's a smack to the face it's a reminder hey even he was capable of sinning and walking away from god or not walking in god you are still capable of that all the people that you listen to the leaders who have influence on your life have that same ability to just fall away and be sinful and and deceitful so it's just a reminder that only god is perfect only jesus is perfect so our trust needs to be ultimately in him we can trust other believers based on their fruits but we shouldn't bring them up to such a high standard that they start to become paragons of of saints or stuff like that so the takeaway for today God will come one day and he will punish the unrighteous for their sins. It's imperative that we spread the gospel and share it with everyone we know. We are called to love our fellow man, even our enemies. And if we love someone, we should want to spare them this punishment. It's nothing good that we do to earn salvation. It's only the blood of Christ that can save us. But we have to accept it by swearing fealty to God. So there is only, only salvation in God and accepting Jesus Christ's sacrifice. So, thank you all so much for listening. I uh I've seen some great number increases this this month, so uh, it seems we're starting to get some traction. So, thank you all who have helped spread the word. Thank you all who have helped us get out there and see more people. So, from the bottom of my heart, I I really appreciate everyone who's listening. Uh, if you've been with us from the beginning, we've come a long way and I'm really proud of what we've done so far and I'm still looking for new ways to grow and ways to get this podcast as polished as I'd like it to be. So if you ever have any suggestions, I'm always open to it. So thank you for listening to Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture, and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time.